time for Coffee with the Chicken Ladies, a podcast for people who love chickens. Hey, everybody, and welcome. It's Chrissy and Holly from Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. We're here, and this is episode number 46 of our podcast, where we talk about everything chicken, family, fun, and more chickens. More chickens. We drink a ton of coffee. I'm talking a ton. But most importantly, we hug chickens every day. And kiss them too, don't forget. We brew coffee from a little coffee house here in Bel Air, Maryland. Holly Ann, what kind of coffee are we brewing today? It is cinnamon vanilla. It's perfect for the season. It's delicious. You can't get any better. So, how are you doing today? Great. It's beautiful. It's beautiful outside. We're getting ready for the sheep shearer to come tomorrow. Yay, what fun. She does a fall clip, which is where she clips like around the back end to keep them all clean, and then she'll do their toenails. Oh, nice. And the other thing we're doing is I'm trying to finalize my order for my apple trees. (laughs) I've changed it like 50 times. (laughs) You have been really looking into these apple trees. So right now I have, I do have the one cider apple, Harrison apple tree, and then I've picked three supposed to be disease-resistant antique apples. Okay. Two that are good for eating, one that's a good drying apple, and then all three of them are good baking apples. Nice. So, yeah, that's going to be good. Let's see how many times I change my mind again before we order. It's a good time to think about apples because it's fall. Yes. So, this weekend, I want to be taking the kids over to a pumpkin patch. We want to get our fall stuff going on. Mm-hmm. We always do the dried corn husks around the garage yeah. in the fall. It just doesn't feel exactly like fall until you do that. We get all the moms and everything set up. So I'm kind of excited to do that and do some little bit of different displays around the outside of the house this year. So it's going to be kind of a quiet weekend here. We painted the barn last weekend. right? And I'm hoping just to maybe go have some fun at a farm, watch some football on Sunday. Right. And then I got to clean coops. Well, that's on my radar every weekend. I do it on Sundays usually. Yeah. And then I can sometimes do it, you know, like during the week on a Monday or yeah. something like that. Just a bit time in there, yeah. Yeah. Maybe some baking. All yeah. the fall stuff. All the fall stuff. Doing all the apple research makes me want to taste and bake with all these apple varieties. But because they're antiques, they're hard to find. Yeah. Good news there is that the chickens will get to share them with us. So the crab apple trees, the ones that are over the chicken runs. Every other year, we get an abundance of them. Right. Not every year, it seems like. That's the case with a lot of the older varieties. They bear biennially, which I thought was fascinating. I didn't realize that. So the chickens, it's so funny because you keep thinking that a chicken's going to get bopped in the head with one of these little crab apples. But they love them. They fall in there and then you just see them pecking around at the apples. Uh I don't even know how they eat them because they are the most sour thing I've ever tasted in my life. I guess they don't register that astringency. I think they only have like 150 taste buds versus like so, oh, so really? many that we have. Yeah. So it's pretty amazing. Like they'll just sit there and you see them just like rolling these apples around. And well, the chickens else. are going to have to fight me for those because those are going in our hard cider. <laughs> I will be making the hard cider and those crab apples will be an important component. They are. So let me just take a minute to ask everybody a big favor. If you're listening to our show and loving it, if you could head on over to Apple Podcast and leave us a written review, it does so many great things for our show. It really helps us grow the podcast. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, you can head over to our Patreon page, check out our different levels of membership. You can also visit our Etsy shop. We have a few of our logo mugs left, our beautiful t-shirts, the t-shirt ship free. The other thing you can do to help support the podcast is buy products from our sponsors. Yay! We have some exciting news to share from our sponsor, Grubly Farms. 
From now until the end of October, you can receive 20% off if you're a first-time buyer. We have a special discount code for our listeners, COFFEE20, for 20% off your first purchase. You can follow the link in our show notes. This offer does not apply to subscriptions and cannot combine with any other offers. If you haven't heard, Grubbly Farms has a brand new layer crumbles food packed with plant and insect protein. Perfect for those picky chickens and ducks. Plus, they're the perfect size for bantams and all products ship free. It's a great time to try Grubbly Farms if you haven't yet. Use the code COFFEE20. Try it today. Hey, Chris. Yeah. Do you like subscription boxes? Does that have anything to do with chickens? Of course. Then yes. Let me just take a minute to tell everybody about the Chicken Love Box. If you love goodies for your chickens and you, you need to go to chickenlove.com. I love the Mega Box. There are tons of useful products for my flock and a chicken tea for me. You cannot go wrong with these chicken teas. They are so cute and so soft. In the August Box, I absolutely love the copper chicken earrings and the bloodstop powder. They're very shiny. I love the coin purse. It's quilted and it's going to be a great tote for my lip gloss. Boxes start at $39 a month. They ship immediately after your order and shipping is always free. It's such a great deal. Don't wait. Get off the nest and click already. That's chickenlove.com. That's chickenluv.com. Get your subscription today. Okay, so it's about that time that we're going to do Odd Breed Spotlight. What's with the opera lately? (laughs) I don't know. Okay. I'm just trying to think of new stuff to say. It's very dramatic. I was trying to be Scottish. Speaking of Scotland, this wonderful little chicken is from Scotland. Scots Grey. The Scots Grey. That's why I was trying to bring us in that way. Well done. So the Scots Grey is another very old breed of UK chicken. Yes. There's documented evidence of their existence as far back as the 1600s. And it is known that they were definitely developed in Scotland. Yes. I didn't have a lot of luck finding the foundation breeds. There's not a lot of information out there on this chicken. I really spent a long time trying to find information on this chicken. And I did find one decent source, which we'll talk about at the end here. But I need to mention this part. Okay. It's not actually gray. I needed to say that part. Yeah. It is cuckoo or bard. Mm-hmm. And very pretty. Really, when you look at them, they're a very handsome breed of chicken. They're currently listed as a native poultry breed at risk by okay. the Rare Breed Survival Trust. There are a lot of chickens that we have done research on out of Scotland recently. Yes. Now, some people will confuse the Scots Dumpy with the Scots Grey. All you need to do is look carefully and you will see the legs. difference between these two breeds. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you don't even have to look that closely right. to see the difference. There were some other names for this chicken through the years besides the Scots Grey, and they included the Chick Marley the Shepherd's Plaid, and the Grayling. So there is a breed club website for this chicken, and we will talk more about that in a bit. And the reason I'm bringing it up is because the breed club website mentions a book that was published in 1862 with the most charming name. It is The Henwife. Okay. The Henwife is by Mrs. Ferguson Blair. And apparently in this book, she mentions the Scots Grey quite frequently. Okay. So apparently it was very popular breed in the 19th century in the UK. It's considered a dual-purpose bird. The Scots Grey is a tall chicken, but it's light-bodied. That's weird. Usually your dual-purpose are not light-bodied. Right? <laughs> so this was one of the little stories about this breed. Poultry historians in the UK believe that somewhere back in the lineage, the greys were heavier. And they actually believe that they had English game birds bred into them. Okay. And as we said before, though they are cuckoo like the Scots Dumpy, there is no relation between them. 
They remind me of the Bard Rock. I could see that. The comb on this one looks different. Uh-huh. But even their body shape is kind of like the Bard Rock. I think Bard Rocks are heavier, actually. They are heavier. So the Scots Grey only comes in cuckoo or barring. That's the only color that it comes in. The males are around seven pounds and the females are around five. And then there's the, a bantam version. There is a bantam version, right, which apparently are quite small, like on the order of nankin small. Okay. They're very tiny. A difference between the males and females, other than the obvious, the males have a very clear and beautiful barring, while the females look significantly darker than the roosters. I can see that. So look at this picture here. It's, they're almost more of a charcoal from a distance. Yes. And then here's the male. Yes. He has some different patterns of barring. You picked up on it. So on the males, the barring almost is a V. Yeah. It's very pretty. It's two different types of barring. Yeah. And the head looks a lot darker. So they have moderately sized single combs. They have red earlobes. They have white legs. And sometimes the legs have a bit of splash on them, some black modeling. Okay. And the roosters stand tall. The roosters are very upright. And that could be the game bird, if there really was game bird bred into them. The Scots Grey has a reputation for being hardy and healthy. Okay. They're supposed to do well in varying climates. So they can handle some heat. They can handle some cold. Right. The hens are reputed to be very good year-round layers of large white or cream eggs. And they're not supposed to go broody, but every now and again, one does. Yeah. They are excellent foragers. They love to scratch in the dirt for bugs. We did read that they need a lot of free-range time and that they don't do well in small, confined spaces. Right. They fly very well and will roost in trees. Okay. There is a Scots Grey Breed Club. They have a website and they have a Facebook page. It's scotsgraychickens.co.uk. We will have that linked in our show notes as right. always. It includes some history of the breed and it includes the breed standard. From what I found, the remaining Scots Greys seem to be popular with a small group of people who like to show chickens. Yeah. So they're very much a show bird in some places. Though by all accounts, they would make a really good homestead or small holding chicken. They would. I think they're very pretty. So here's the big question. Where do you get them? Yeah, where do you get them? No place in the U.S. that I found. Well, they're from Scotland, so. Right. Besides the U.K., I found that they were actually available in Australia. Oh, wow. There were some importations in 2014, so they are available there. But if you're in the U.S., no dice. No dice. Have you heard of Strong Animals Chicken Essentials? They make natural supplements for your flock. Strong Animals has used plant-based products and natural approaches to promote the health and vitality of backyard flocks. Their products contain organic essential oils, prebiotics, and other natural ingredients to support the immune system and digestive health. Give your chicks and chickens what they need to thrive with Strong Animals Health Products. Visit GetStrongAnimals.com today. Okay, so it's about that time that we go across the pond and have coffee, coffee with the Yeah! Yeah! In unison, first time <laughs> we ever. We got it. Woo-hoo. We got it. So we have Fiona for our special round table with Fiona once a month. And this week, Fiona, why don't you tell everybody what we're talking about? Well, it's that timely stuff, isn't it? It's fall tasks. Everything that we should be getting on with for autumn or fall. Yes. Yeah. And it's one of those things that it's even the pre-winter kind of stuff. There's a a certain amount of things that we need to be doing just prepping at least for the fall and start for the winter. We've got a lot to get ready for winter. I mean, the madness of summer's out of the way. Thank goodness. Going on now. So it's getting ready for the colder winter months. 
Yes. And we want to say too, that along with this, Fiona has a really awesome video over at English Country Life on her YouTube channel that kind of goes along with what we're saying. So if Mm -hmm. you want to see it, head on over to YouTube and check out that video also. I will have it linked in our show notes and it really is filled with good ideas. I watched it again last night. It's filled with great ideas to see all the beautiful scenery and Fiona's unbelievably fluffy English Orpingtons. (laughs) They are so fluffy. But the best thing about that sentence you just said is I watched it again. Uh, Yeah, yeah. (laughs) I, I've start, probably seen most of your videos a couple of times. Yeah. <laughs> That's so fine. You carry on. Yep. Yeah. So Good listen stuff. to this and then go over to YouTube and check it out. And then you'll be ready for fall. So there are a few things before winter that we need to do. The first thing that we need to think about, and we were discussing this before, is deworming. Right. It used to be recommended that deworming was twice a year. We're going to address this now. The recommendations have kind of changed. Yeah, it's quite recent. Obviously, you should worm if you see evidence of worms. But my understanding now is the recommendation is if you're going to do it prophylactically, do it once a year. And that could either be early spring or in fall and autumn. So it's really up to you as individuals. And I know your preference is actually now, isn't it? Yeah. It's spring, but that's because we have a breeding flock and we're down to much smaller numbers in winter. Whereas if we give the prophylactic worming now, we've still got lots of chickens because we are still going through the sales process. That makes oh, a lot of that sense. Does yeah. Make sense. Yeah. And on our end, deworming now makes sense for us because we don't have to go through an egg withdrawal because they're stopping. Yeah, absolutely. Eggs. Uh, so, also that our winters tend to be more severe. Definitely here in the Mid-Atlantic and then further north in the U.S. or and our listeners in Canada, of course. So you don't want a bird with a parasite load to have to go into a very cold winter. No. They need no. their reserves. So if you're going to prophylactically deworm once a year, if you're in North America, we recommend doing fall. Fall, because I mean, it's the most beneficial time mm-hmm. to do it. It's the most practical, right? Yeah. And, yeah, and I once mean, again, to be fair, in the UK, we've had very, very mild winters for mm-hmm. quite a number of years now. You're so lucky. You are lucky. I know. <laughs> Jealous. I know. That's why I'm coming to your house. <laughs> <laughs> Told you you're welcome anytime. <laughs> so for broad spectrum deworming, we tend to use Safeguard right. as our go-to. primary. Yeah, that's our go-to dewormer. Just a reminder, if your hen is actively molting, don't deworm her with fenbendazole or Safeguard because it can damage feather growth. Either deworm her before she starts to molt or afterwards. Fiona, what are you using these days? It's actually Leia's pellet, which is coated in Flubinvet. There are actually two brands in the UK that have Leia's pellets coated with Flubinvet. And it's just so amazing because you just get rid of every other feed that's available to them. Feed that Leia's pellet for seven days and that's your treatment over. It's great. That is fantastic. I wish we had that. What's the withdrawal on on that dewormer? Is it just a few it's weeks? Exactly the same. Yeah, okay. it's seven days after the okay. treatment. So no eggs during the treatment, and then seven days after. Okay, that's not terrible at that's all. That's not bad at all. No. Yeah. So checking out those chickens, making sure everybody looks good, doing a deworming. The second thing, and some of us don't think about this. I didn't think about this. I think about it because of sheep. You do. But yeah, so we do the same thing, <laughs> but for different reasons. Right. Reseeding the lawn. Mm-hmm. And it's an yeah. excellent idea because the chickens are going to be snacking away on that lawn. Right. And they're going to need something else to eat. 
It's so, the digging as well. That's the problem. It's all of those lovely little holes that they dig to make <laughs> those little dust baths for themselves. And it's filling those holes in. Thing is, everyone that looks at my Instagram account thinks that our lawn is immaculate. Trust me, it's not. It's got <laughs> holes all over it in various places. So this is my time of year to put little fences around the worst affected areas and get that grass seed out before the weather just gets too cold for it to germinate. Right. Yeah. So here, the best times for planting grass seed are in the chilly autumn and in the chilly spring times. Yes, Is it the same in the absolutely. UK? Okay. Exactly the same. Yeah. So walking around your property before it gets too cold and checking out for holes, for bare spots, it's important for the chickens. That's going to be number two on our fall tasks. Number three on our list is change to their feed during this time in autumn and winter because you've got colder months coming in we've got them going through molt so protein content needs to go up so we would add split peas you would add mealworms or right. grubs or yes. you know all of those wonderful animal-based proteins that we can't feed here in the UK right but the other thing which we might add to give them an extra boost would be some dried maize kibble about an hour before they go to bed because that increases their body temperatures a little bit, which just makes them a little bit warmer at night. But mm -hmm. we don't give it to them in spring or in summer because they'll right. overheat. Right. So here, it would probably be the equivalent of getting out the heavy-duty scratch grains. <laughs> yeah, the dried corn. Mm -hmm. I add that in at night and I actually add it with a bowl of warm oatmeal. Yeah. That's a you great know. idea. Yeah. yeah. So it does rev up the metabolism. It does warm their little bodies up from inside. The carbohydrates. So it does mm -hmm. make sense to kind of switch up that food and start doing it in the fall, even before it's super cold, to get them ready because they probably need it. Number four is fence maintenance. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, we've got electric fences and the leaves falling off the trees are uh, the bane of my life at this time of year. Yeah. And yeah. because it's wetter, because we've got more rain, the electric fencing itself actually stretches a little bit. So I constantly have to reset the poles oh, to keep the electric fence tight mm -hmm. so it's not grounding right? Um, and that current is going through properly. So that's my big issue. Oh, I don't boy. know if that's your issue. Now, in fencing here, you're going to make sure the wood isn't rotting. Right. I mean, here, the, the real reason for it here is predators. The load of predators yeah, you've got we a have much here, bigger issue. We do. And they're hungry. It's cold weather. So winter and early spring are the worst times for predator attacks. We're doing perimeter checks and checking all the runs, making sure there aren't weak spots. At my house, that means checking sheep fencing as well, because we don't want a hungry, woolly sheep busting her way out of the fence. When we first moved in there, it happened oh, a couple of times. Okay, so the next thing that we should be doing, which is pretty important, is rodent proofing. Any kind of holes anywhere where they can get in, making sure that you don't have any kibble anywhere that's going to mm -hmm. draw them. Fiona does a great job yeah. with this on the video. Yeah. This time of year for us, it's far worse because actually we're in, a, in an agricultural area and the crops have all been harvested. Mm -hmm. So those rodents, which we would have lived out in the fields, are now looking for somewhere else to go. Yeah. So they're looking for other food sources and they're looking for warmth because they also want to be warm in winter. Mm -hmm. And anyone that's had a coop low to the ground that's set on the ground and not on slabs 
I would venture to suggest that you're probably going to get a rat's nest under there at some point. And I hate yeah. to say that to any new chicken keepers, yeah. but it's probably true. So all of our feeders are treadle feeders. So mm -hmm. actually a rat can't open them. They're not heavy enough to actually operate that treadle to open the lid. And the other thing we do is we make sure that the drinkers are empty at night. And that's advantageous to the chickens as well, because they get fresh water every single morning. It's right, wonderful. right. We do the same thing here. No food stays out in the run or the coop. It goes into a sealed galvanized can that's in another container, which is locked mm -hmm. and yeah. not in with the chickens. The chickens aren't in with food and water. That's going to draw those rodents up into the coops with them. Right. They don't need it overnight. They don't need it overnight. No. Right. They're not going to eat while they're on the roost. They're going no. to sleep. No. Make sure all the food is locked up and out of the runs, out of the coops to make sure rodents don't want to get in to get that Yeah. Food. You want to make it as unattractive as possible. And really with the water, that's quite practical because here you start to get freezing overnight. Yeah. So dump it. And then you don't have to wrestle yeah. with ice in the morning. That's don't a very good point. If you don't need food overnight for your chickens, you definitely don't need water overnight either. Exactly. So our water no. bowls live in the runs and we dump them. So we have heated water dishes that plug in. Mm -hmm. That's one of our fall tasks is to get heated water dishes that and set up. I love them. They sound fantastic. I mean, if they are. Honest, we have very few days where that's needed. There's right. the odd morning where I would, if water had been left in a drinker, I would have gone out and seen some ice on the bowl. But because we dump it out, we don't right, see right. it. It's fresh water that's going in. So it's yeah. very rare that I have to fill a bucket from inside the house because the outside hose is frozen. Lucky. When I first started, <laughs> the very first year, I did not have the electric bowls. Mm -hmm. And it was horrible. We talk about it on episode number one, yeah. Yeah. how yeah. horrible it is before those electric bowls. Oh, yeah. Going out there 10 times a day with hot water to break it up. I remember as a kid, because I grew up with horses, you can't leave horses without water overnight. They have to have water. Yeah. So being out there with a hammer, trying to break two inches of ice yeah. off of a bucket. But I mean, don't so, get me wrong. There are places in the UK that right. have that problem. Right. But we are not high enough above sea level to have that mm -hmm. issue. We love those electric dishes. They just work perfectly. It's fantastic. But to try to cut down on electrical use, what will happen is you'll have a freeze overnight. And then by 9 or 10 a.m., you're above freezing on some days. Yes. On some days, that is not all. But when it's going to be like that, we don't even plug the dishes in at that point. Exactly. You dump the water. The bowl doesn't the bowl have, acts right. as a bowl. So it doesn't freeze overnight because there's nothing in it. Yep. Next morning, fill it up and you're good to go. The sun is on it. It stays above freezing. Keeping it right. all out definitely helps with everything with freezing mm -hmm. and giving rodents no opportunity to come in there or anything that they're going to want to see. And so if you can put your coops on slabs, get them on slabs. Yeah. yeah. Or yeah. ours are on stilts. So they're up off the we ground. We have both. We have slabs. Yeah, we, we have, have quite stilts. a few on both. The problem we found is if we put the coops on stilts just on the grass, the chickens would build dust baths underneath. They so do. They you'd do. then have they the do. risk of the stilts kind of going sideways. Yes. Yeah. Big holes. Because they do that. We shore all of ours up yeah. with builder's blocks, concrete builder's blocks. We put ours on papers. Because, yeah. Of course, our new omelet coops sit on those really fantastic steel frames. Yeah. So Let's that go. brings us into the next one. This is the big one. The biggest one of the fall checklist, and it's coop maintenance and weatherproofing. This, to me, is the biggest. 
Yeah, we have just placed a mammoth order for repairs for equipment, wood like you wouldn't believe. We have actually got a truck delivery coming this week. <laughs> nice. Oh my God, I know, I know, I know. But it's needed because we've got so many of the coops this year need some major overhaul. The main coop is starting to delaminate quite badly. We've got two coops which are as big, which are being used for the younger um, well, I call them chicks, but they're not really. They're, they're like gawky teenagers now. <laughs> yeah. So they're going to be sold very shortly. So one of those coops will go on to the place where the main coop is and the, the winter buff Orpingtons, they will be rehoused into that in their normal place. And we will do all the repairs to the main coop. But we've got so much wood and raw material on order. It is embarrassing. Wow. The fencing of your run. You need to double check everything to make sure there are no holes where anybody is starting to dig to try to get in there. Everything is buried over that needs to be buried over. And the coops need to be sealed so that you're not getting drafts in through wood rotting. Ventilation at the top is okay. You don't want the drafts on your chickens. That's a big deal here. Check nesting boxes Mm -hmm. and make sure that that lid that covers that nesting box isn't letting water in there. Right. The coop is their home. We need to make sure that's as secure as it can be. Checking that now when it's still warm enough to do stuff. Right. That's why that's important. Yeah. Yeah. And actually for the water ingress, this is a time actually where the deep litter method doesn't work for the owners. So Mm -hmm. if you do practice that method, have a really, really good look at the bedding and the bottom of the coop and just check for areas where it's damp or it looks like it's been discolored because water has got into it somehow. Yeah, um, exactly. I, it's easier if you clean out regularly and do it my way, which is not the deep litter. Method. We right. don't do it so either. So I can see where the water is getting in. That's what we do as well. And honestly, last winter, and we both did this without even discussing it, we both did deep litter because the weather was so bad and there's just so much ice and snow. But generally, we are a great way of doing things. I've got no issue with it. We normally do it every week. It's easier. And we're used to doing it with like a tidy coop. We do it once a week. But it really did work well last year, given the circumstances. It was a bad winter. winter. If you're trying to spot leaks, it's not the best thing to help you. Right. And this is the time to do it. Our new coop that our friend gave us, we made it so in the summer... We have more ventilation with hard wire cloth. Mm-hmm. In the winter, we can close that off because right. we still have other yeah, ventilation right. so that the draft isn't coming in. These are the times to do that before it's 20 degrees and you're saying to yourself, I can't do this. It's Honestly, we do most of the cleaning in the fall because we keep fans in our coops through most of the summer because it's so blasted hot and humid here. Yeah. This is the time where we take the fans out, we clean the fans, we store Mm -hmm. them, we deep clean the coop because those fans blow feather dust everywhere. Right. They're very dusty after summer. So you clean all of that stuff out, which generally means you're also scraping dust off the top vents and off the windows. Yeah. Coops where we do have ventilation, we close that up. This is also the time we start breaking out the panel heaters. Yeah. I'm exactly the same. I mean, I do scrub downs during the year, but the fall and the early spring scrub downs are a whole different ball game. It's massive. I mean, mm-hmm. it's, right. 
I might as well put a hazmat suit on and really go for it. <laughs> the amount of, you know, cleaning, insecticidal disinfectants that yeah. go on the coops at this time of year. Yep. The other thing that it's good for is we have talked about scrubbing those roosts. Mm-hmm. Scrubbing them, sanding them, and even recovering them. We do it with contact paper. You can get it at the dollar store here. It's not expensive so that there's no splinters getting into the undersides of the chicken's that- feet. That's, okay. That's one of the big things that here in the U.S. really helps with bumblefoot reinfection. You haven't mentioned bumblefoot a lot, Fiona. And I'm wondering if just because your grass is so much springier than ours, you have less of it. Well, no, for us, we don't have a lot of it because our Orpingtons don't like to perch. To oh, that's sleep. right. That's right. You know, right. this is one of the reasons why I don't have the deep litter method because I have to poop pick every day because yeah. I can't have the Orpingtons lying on bedding, which is soiled. So every exactly. single day they have a clean bed to lie on. So actually they're not on perches. They're less likely to get splinters that way. The only risk I've got is if they do something silly by jumping down because mm-hmm. they're quite heavy. But to be honest, in all the years we've had the Orpingtons, we've never had a case of Umberfoot yet. Knock on wood. And I, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's one of these things. I mean, we've been so lucky as well with red mice as well. We haven't had that. We've got a major amount of biosecurity to stop as much as possible coming into the right. site. But Bumblefoot, no, we, we haven't. Well, like you said, they're not roosting overnight and That's they're a on a plush lawn most of the time. The not roosting is huge. I mean, I've been on a crusade lately when I see people who are having bumblefoot reinfections over and over. Even if your roosts aren't splintery, disinfect them because your yeah. bird is spending 8, 10, 12 hours up there. If they come in with poop on their feet already, that's it's, in the wood. Absolutely. it's in the wood. Yeah. And if you put the con, we say contact paper around the wood, that's for easy cleaning. Contact paper is easy cleaning. If you have a bird that has trouble holding on, you can use vet wrap, Coflex. So you can actually get uh, one millimeter thick rubber adhesive tiles, which is really, really easy to put around. We actually use that at nest box lids to give us some kind of waterproofing on the outside, right. that rubber matting. But that can also be used to wrap the perches as well. That's an and it's excellent idea. That's a really good idea. It's warm That's excellent. as well. Yeah, yeah for I'm sure. I'm writing that down. Yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> Another thing that we need to check on our list, and this is us personally, we have tops to our runs. Right. In the fall, you're going to get a lot of leaves. So yeah, you have hawks, we don't. Yeah. Right. So you have leaves driving you crazy with the fences and we have them up high on top of the rungs. You see, yeah. I also have leaves on top of the fruit cage, which has a roof. So oh, yeah. I've got to take the roof off that. So mm-hmm. cleaning up those leaves is a good thing. Yeah. Now here's the thing that it goes right along with straw kind of. You can use the leaves in the run for them to nestle around and play in. But if you have one that likes to eat a lot of them, you can't because that can cause an impaction. So just kind of look at your chickens and see if they don't really go for straw, they probably won't go for leaves. Yeah, I use the leaves in a lot of my runs and they're fine, but I did accidentally let some oak acorns get in there one year and Madeline may have eaten the top of an acorn and had a partial impaction for three weeks. (laughs) That may have happened. (laughs) 
So, yeah. So yeah. those are the things to look out for if you have that kind of crazy chicken that likes to eat everything, which, hey, I have Gertie. Isn't there? There's always yes. one that worries us with these things. I yes. have the chicken who lives on white towels now because she can't control her eating. <laughs> Everyone probably knows the story by now. Christy was away and I was babysitting Gertie and Gertie had to have emergency surgery. And I went to the hospital to pick her up and Dr. Rebecca took me in the back and, you know, was taking me through all of the feeding instructions. And we had tucked Gertie into her carrier, which was lined with sawdust. Yeah. And I heard the text say, oh no, (laughs) there was Gertie eating sawdust three hours after surgery. Yes. So out the sawdust came, Gertie is on white towels. And Gertie is a lesson in watching your chickens. Over a month later, she's still on white towels because we had to save her from herself. So if you have that chicken that's like that, the leaves are not really a great idea because they get wet in there and then they can cause an impaction along with the straw. Mm -hmm. So that's a big thing to keep. But keeping the tops clean, you don't want sagging because then it gets wet. They get heavier. And ice. ice. I've seen this happen. The ice will pull the outsides of your rundown if it gets too heavy. Yeah, so that's the time clean, clean those, those sleeves. Mm-hmm. So we mentioned this in winterizing, but in the fall, I do it too. Are the tarps along Wind the sides? Tarps. Wind tarps. Aren't you glad you're not over here, Fiona? <laughs> well, you say that, but we're in flat Lincolnshire and oh. the nearest mountains to us to stop the winds are the Urals. So okay. oh, wow. that's a long, that's a long, long yeah. railway. <laughs> So we have very high hedges, which we've spent many years planting to give us some windproofing. But even then, we've still got the wind whipping through. Thank God the chickens are so low down. Exactly. They actually, there are certain parts of the garden where they're like kamikaze crawling along the ground. (laughs) It's so funny to watch. (laughs) And then they get past that little wind tunnel and they stand up and it's like, oh, Oh, I can't say it. But it yes. really is. It's like watching the SAS training. That's hilarious. It's so <laughs> funny. And this is the time, too, that you want to make sure you buy the tarps that you have them. Before they sell out. They will sell out. So yeah. at least one corner to block so they have a place to go. You mean have a tarp lining at least one corner at of your least. run? No, okay. You can't do the entire yeah. run. Do at least one corner mm-hmm. so that they can go to that corner. Some and, shelter. You know, at least that. The other way that we've done it is we've built wooden shelters, which are very, very simple, just little box frames. So they've got shelter they can hide behind. And you can even do it with a piece of plywood, um, which is set vertically, held up by cinder blocks. Mm That would be enough to hold it in place and give some windproofing. Yes. Sometimes you look at them and you're like, how are they not like Dorothy up in a tornado? Because... They're so little, but they're so short mm-hmm. that the wind yeah. doesn't affect them the same way. Yeah. So wind's blowing everywhere, and they're just like, I'm just going to walk around. <laughs> and their butts are blowing up in the air, and you're like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> oh so- that's the best thing, isn't it, with all the <laughs> it's, yes. you know, feathers blowing all directions. It's wonderful to watch. But I think the key is, and you're right, and this video is perfect because it's not really winterizing. You need to do it in the fall. Right. Yeah. By the time winter hits, you're already in. Yeah. yeah. You don't want to be out there doing that stuff. You want to be set up for winter. Mm -hmm. So Fiona has this amazing video that complements this. And Fiona has one more task. It's not one that we use. Selecting a breeding cockerel. Yes. And that's amazing because there might be somebody else out there that's going to be doing some breeding. And this is the time that you pick it. 
So our breeding cockle from last year has now left us. That's because we don't want him breeding with his offspring. So we have to hatch a new one from an unrelated set of chickens. So now we've got this wonderful task of selecting the big breeding cockerel. So we have got three that we're looking at at the moment. There is a number one favorite. So very shortly, one of them will absolutely be going with another set of chickens as an unrelated cockerel. Um, they're going as a starter breeder flock to someone who wants to start breeding. And that's leaving us with two. Now, we have a favorite who is a black leg band. So surprisingly, wow. at the moment, he's being referred to as Mr. Black. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, these, you know, these great names we think of at this stage. So the winner is going to get the proper name. Number two has got a white leg band. So guess what he's called? Mr. White. Yeah. It's really, really cerebral, it's these scientific. names that we've chosen. It is very yeah. scientific. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Black is amazing. He's got a lovely temperament at the moment. He's fabulous. He puts all the hens to bed. Honestly, oh. he does the patrol around the coop. He's wonderful. He's very gentle. He tries to feed the hens as well. Oh, and I love he's that. He's only he's 16 weeks old. He's feeding the hens. He's lovely. He's dark ginger. He's got wonderful broad chest. He's got all the right breed confirmation. And he's gentle with us as well. He's fabulous. These boys you hatched this past summer from eggs that you brought yes. in. Yes. But nice. Cinnamon hatched them. No, no, it was Frankie. Oh, okay. I get confused. <laughs> I don't know how you can keep track of it. That is a lot of babies to keep track of. Half the time, as you can see, I get confused. <laughs> Looking at our nankins, we have George, and George is a gorgeous nankin cockerel. He also he's adorable. He is, he's cute. ridiculous. His confirmation and appearance are fantastic. Personality, he always tries to feed Martha. He runs to me with grubs in his beak to feed me. Oh. <laughs> I, I love everything about George. Have you tried them? I have not tried them. I say thank you, George, but you're probably eat it. insulted. I don't think he is. I open the coop in the morning. And, you know, he loves Martha. He's, he, he takes good care of Martha, but he runs right to me, stops in front of my foot. He does a little dance. Then he runs back to Martha awesome. to take care of her. Love George. You know, having Grayson, who's my African great parent, you know, I'm his person. Yes, I know. So he shakes his tails. And what parents do <laughs> to show you how much they love you is they regurgitate their food for you. Oh, so that is love. Oh, wow. I take them out. And he's like shaking his little tail. And then you just see it. And you're like, oh, oh, God. And he's like, <laughs> here it comes. Here it comes. And you have to say, thank you, Grayson. Oh, no. Thank you so much. I will take my grub. <laughs> well, years ago, I had a pet cat and I had all my wisdom teeth actually taken out. I had a really, really bad infection under them. And when I came out of hospital, I was still on some serious antibiotics. And of course, I laid on the sofa at home feeling sorry for myself <laughs> for a number of days. Now, for the first two days, the cat wouldn't leave me. He laid on my chest and wouldn't Aww. go out. But day three, he decided to go hunting and I needed to be fed. Oh, I can I? only see where this is going. Nothing was dead. Let's put it that way. Oh, no. <laughs> and he would bring these things into me and present them to me. Mice. I had sparrows. I had a blackbird. <laughs> but the rat was the one that freaked me out. Oh, boy. It was just, oh. What a cat. Oh, oh my God. 
That is true love <laughs> right there. True love got oh. greater. So he decided he was going to go to a bigger scale and, and bring, bring in a seagull. A seagull. Yes. Honestly, there was another occasion we went away for a weekend and we had someone staying in the house to look after the cat. And he had one of those electronic cat flap tags on so that when he got close to it, the cat flap would unlock and he could right. get in, but no other cat could. And when we came home, I walked in the kitchen and his cat bowl was overflowing. I mean, I'm not joking. There was a pile like a little mountain. And I said, um, so has he not been in? Have you not seen him this weekend? Is he annoyed because we've been away? Oh, no, I've not seen him. Oh, I wonder what's happened. And I opened the back door into the garden. And the back garden was, you've never seen anything like it. It was like a war zone. There was <laughs> bits of dead things strewn all over the place. <laughs> what it turned out happened is his collar had fallen off. But let's put it this way, that friend didn't house sit for us or cat sit I know, for us again. Like, yeah. It wasn't their job to take care of the cat and they never saw the cat the well, whole he's, As it turned out, he didn't need any looking after. I was going to say. That garden is testament to that. Rambo took care of himself. <laughs> wow. Oh, yeah. Remember I said a long time ago, Rambo should have a little machine gun around. I don't think he needs it. <laughs> it was amazing. Oh, man. Wow. Okay, so we just want to say thank you, Fiona for coming on this month. I love chatting with you. Thank you for having love me. Love talking to you, Likewise. dear friend. And everyone, go check out English Country Life on YouTube. It's amazing. Talk to you later, Fiona. Bye. Bye. Okay, so now it's about that time that we crack some eggs, cracking those eggs. And this is one of your famous recipes. I wouldn't call it famous. It's just a recipe that I like to do in the fall. It's famous. It's pumpkin bread or pumpkin muffins. It's something that I've done for a long time. And I tend to just kind of stick with the same thing that I like. If it works, then perfect. Okay, so it's a pretty easy recipe. Basically, you're going to use flour, sugar, salt, baking soda, cinnamon, nutmeg, all those little fall things standard fall baking exactly and pumpkin Uh uh-huh and you can get it in a can you don't have to clean out a pumpkin yeah the same time i get pumpkin in the can and use it for this recipe right and you need water of course eggs vanilla some oil and i use different kinds of nuts Uh uh-huh you can use walnuts you can use pecans you can use raisins. I throw raisins into mine. I really like chocolate chips and pumpkin You can bread. do chocolate chips. I've done it before. So you can change it up, whatever you're feeling like. Mm-hmm. Sometimes I do nuts or end chips or raisins. You don't like raisins. I'm big into raisins. Right. So I usually add raisins in I like on it. raisins in certain things. Yeah. In other things, it's, to quote Pete, it's wrong. <laughs> you think you're biting into a chocolate chip cookie and it's raisins. I don't know if I've ever done raisin and chocolate chip cookies before. Well, they wouldn't be chocolate chip cookies for one thing. Chocolate chip raisin cookies. But people use them in oatmeal cookies a lot. I do. Yeah. Anyway, back to this. How many eggs do we use for this? Two eggs. And basically what you're going to do is take your dry ingredients in a bowl Uh and mix everything together. So you're going to mix your flour, your sugar, your salt, and your baking soda, and your cinnamon, and your nutmeg. Uh And put them in a small bowl. That's the key thing to remember. Because sometimes if you do it opposite, you're going to find yourself mixed up. Right, right. So the dry ingredients go in a small bowl. Then take your wet ingredients, which are the water, the eggs, the pumpkin, the oil, and put them in a large bowl. Uh Uh-huh. 
And then you're slowly going to mix in the dry and wet ingredients. Right. It's a very simple recipe. Yeah. Once you mix all those different things in, then you can add your stir-ins. And then basically you bake it for about an hour. I've seen recipes for white chocolate with pumpkin. Yeah, it would be good. Yeah. If you're doing the muffins, you're going to bake about 50 minutes, uh-huh. 60 minutes. If you're doing a loaf, it's longer. Okay. So basically, I just use like a cake tester. Yeah. And make sure, come, make sure it comes out clean. Uh-huh. My mom always makes sure I have all these gadgets. Yeah. The little thing that looks like a metal toothpick right. you stick down in. Anywhere from like 50 to 70 minutes. For the loaf. For the loaf. Yeah. It's usually around 50 to 60 minutes for the muffins or less, a little less. You got to really depends on your oven. So you're going to yeah. bake these at 350. There are two things I love about this recipe. The first is that the smell is amazing when it's in the oven. It fills the whole house. You don't need a, cow, uh, no. you don't need a uh, candle burning right? after this. The other thing I love about this is it's already naturally dairy-free. Yeah. So you can make this gluten-free with just a switch out of the flour. I use Bob's Red Mill one-to-one. Exactly. It's one-to-one. It's the same exact. And this calls for a cup and three-fourths of flour. Easy enough. It's so easy. This one is really easy. And most people have flour, sugar, and baking soda in your pantry. Nothing extra fancy in there. The other day, I made some of the muffins. We'll have some pictures up. The kids love them. I love them. So I always make sure I have the pumpkin in my pantry this time of the year because they're just so easy. And here's the other thing. I don't do standard size muffins when I make these. I do the large. The, the jumbo size? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you can make them any size. You can make them mini. You can make them normal. You can right. make them large. You can do the loaf. But I really love the extra large big muffins. And then you top them with powdered sugar. Perfect. I suppose you could do a glaze. You could do a glaze, but the powdered sugar is just... Just fine. Perfect. Yeah. Like you don't need any... It's like so simple. You can even just wake up on a Saturday morning, whip them up real quick. Yeah. Put them in the oven. They smell up the whole house. Yeah. It's great. So coffee, you're good to go. You're good to go. Just something easy. And it's something that I do every fall, every single fall. Are these the base for your stuffing? They are, which we're going to talk about later, like down the road. Yeah. But I do make pumpkin muffin stuffing. I bet that is amazing. For Thanksgiving. Wow. It has a lot more ingredients in it, but they're the base. And I make them a week ahead of time to let let them dry out. Yeah. Well, that is a fantastic recipe. Yeah, thank you. Okay, so we ready to move on? We are. To retail therapy. Retail therapy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so this week's retail therapy. It's a very contentious subject. (laughs) Which we don't want it to be. No. And everyone has their own opinion on this. But you're entitled to your own opinion. But we're going to put out there Coupeters. And we're going to give you the real deal on Coupeters here. You have to make your own decision on Coupeters. There are different ways to heat your coop. There are right. some that are way more dangerous, i.e. a heat lamp. Right. And I will say that in very far northern parts of this country, farmers have used heat lamps for ages with no problem. You have got to be super, super, super safe with them, though. Any little bit of sawdust or anything. Dust. Anything. Cobwebs. That get, get on that light bulb can spark a fire. Right. And so we don't recommend using heat lamps to heat your coop. What we're going to talk about is some much safer options that have come out in the last, I don't know, maybe 10 years or so. New technology. Yeah. And that's the thing that we've talked about. New things come out. Right. You have to be sometimes willing to acknowledge that technology as it goes gets better. Right. And so the first thing we're going to do is just explain heaters to you. What I mean by that is Everything we're going to talk about uses radiant panel heat 
Right. Which is very safe. It's considered zero clearance. Things can fall against it and not catch on fire. Mm -hmm. Heck, some of my bantams actually sit on top of the heat panels. I mean, (laughs) we talked about this when we got our chicks with the Brincy. Right. And it's the same technology. It's the same exact technology. And it's new. And it is far less a concern with fires. Right. Not only is it exponentially safer. Yeah. Exactly. It also draws much, much less energy. So it's much more energy efficient to use these radiant panel heaters. The other thing is you can set these heaters so they're not overheating your coop. That's the big thing right there. We just want them so that it's just above freezing. Right. Chickens can withstand cold. We know this. Yes. But their combs and wattles, that extra little skin cannot. Right. And if your temperatures drop too far, there's not just going to be surface frostbite. There are going to be major blood vessels in their chromal models frozen. We're talking about substantial deep tissue frostbite. Yeah. If you're in a place where it's not as cold, right. the Vaseline will help and will work. Right. If you're just getting... It does act as a protective exactly. for the combs and waddles. We're not saying not to do it. No, I do it, it too. I do it. It's just the difference is if your temperatures are going to be low enough that frost can form on the surface of the chroma models, the Vaseline is all you need. Right. If your temperatures drop lower than that where blood vessels are freezing, yeah. then you need to do something that's going to make the coop warmer. So we're going to back up a little bit and explain that you don't need a heater when your coop hits 32 degrees. No. And you know what? My chickens have been out before with no heater in the right. winter. Right. And I have all hens and they yeah. do just fine. Now, if you have cockerels, roosters, they have larger comb and waddles. This is where they come in. They also create their own body heat sitting out there. They do. But if you're going to have really, really low temperatures, it's a good idea to put one of these in for them. Right. Just to keep it so that it's not going below 32. Right. That's where we were going. So the big danger is making your coop so warm that your chickens can't acclimate to right. the cold. So they'd be going from a very warm atmosphere to a very cold when atmosphere. They go out in the morning. The radiant panel heaters, especially if you set them to low, they don't warm your coop up that much. It's not no. drastic. I think it was like when you did yours, it was like 34, 35 yeah, it degrees. Was, it was right above freezing. It wasn't that drastic. No, their little bodies can't acclimate like ours do. Right. Where you go from warm to cold, cold to warm, and you instantly acclimate to that system. Exactly. So basically, they can't get used to it. So you don't want to make their environment so different. Right. These heaters don't heat your coop that much. No. It's not like you're making your coop 80 degrees and no. they're going out to 20 degrees. Right. It's not that drastic. And I don't have a heater in every one of my coops. Like my Brahma coop, those girls don't need a heater. Well, in my big girls, I don't have heaters in there. Right. Myself, right. personally. I have the big girl coop, which is all the older chickens, right. multi years. And then I have the little girl coop, I call it, which are my lavenders. Right, the lavender orpington. And was in with them. Right. And then I have the baby coop, which right. is all of the babies that we got. The pullets from this year, right. Yeah. So when you hear me talking about it, that's what I'm talking about. Right. So the little girl coop is a larger coop. It only has four lavenders in there. Right. Here's the other thing that plays into it. They're going to need something in there because there's not as much body heat going around. There's too much open air in that coop. Right. So they're going to need that in there this year. I'm not going to be afraid to use it. Right. I think a lot of people have to get over the fear of that. Sure. Yeah. There is a fear that you're putting something that heats up. But like you said, it doesn't heat it up enough. No. And you can spend a couple bucks and get a little thermometer. We tested ours several yeah, times. I remember P- that. Pete would put the thermometer in there and we check it over the course of the night and into the wee hours of the morning. And what we found is that it does not get the coop that warm. Just warm enough to ward off frostbite. So I have cozy coop heaters in my coops where I have roosters with big combs and right, models. Right. 
I have one in the Jersey Giant Coop. And the reason I have it in there is because the Egyptian Fayumis are on the small side. Yeah. It remains to be seen how much we're going to need to use that one. And then my Bantam Coops are equipped with Cozy Coop heaters because my Nankin Bantams are tiny. Here's the other thing. We don't have these on all the time. No. We just switch them on when it's going to be a frigid night. You're not going to need them on all the time. That's no, for sure. no. We feel very safe with these. Actually, I have one in with my Nankin Bantam cockerels right now. They're on that cusp of, you know, they're fully feathered and ready to be outside, yeah. but they, they need a little bit of yeah. access to heat. Again, they're tiny. They're less than two pounds. Yeah. So they have one of the panels in with them right now. And then the girls have the Brincy brooder plate in with yeah. them. Yeah. And the brooder plates, you know, we all know that those are a really safe option for chicks. They're the exact same technology. It's just horizontal instead of vertical. And it's just smaller. Sometimes folks fight tooth and nail over heaters. I don't think it's the heater. I think it's about change. And you have to get over the fact that a heat lamp is dangerous. Sure. Like you said, farmers have been using it forever. Right. But there's also been coop fires forever. Countless coop fires. So this is a new technology, it's a lot safer to do this. And if it's a lot safer, then why not? Right. Why not? I mean, why not give them some more comfort if you can bring up that temperature above freezing? Right. When you see them come out in the morning with bright red legs because it's so cold, yeah. you feel for them. So these plates are the way to go. We're looking up right now, my pet chicken uh-huh. has a cozy coop heater for twenty eight ninety nine. Right. That is my personal favorite yeah. heater. And the, I, all of mine are cozy coop heaters. That's under $30. Right. They're quite reasonably priced. I actually just bought three more of them on Chewy. I think they've come down in price, to be yeah. honest with you, because I've been watching them. Keep an eye out for sales, especially before it gets cold. I got a deal on Chewy, buy two, get one free, yeah. which is really good. Yeah. Yeah. The other thing to think about is your region. If you live in Georgia, you may not need a cozy coop no. heater. If you live in Minnesota... You may have them in every single one of your coops, and right. there's nothing wrong with that. You can pick a chicken breed based on your climate, and there's some wisdom to that. Right. But if you're in a place like us where it gets blazing hot in the summer and, and gets very cold in the winter sometimes... We have the worst of both. Right. We don't have any happy medium. And so, again, this is just another tool in the toolbox that's excellent. One of the early heaters that was out with this technology was the sweeter heater. Yes. And the sweeter heater... They are made to either hang from the top of your coop or you can install them on the side of your coop and they come in several different sizes. And they're still out there. Oh, yeah. They're they're out there. We have them. They're a bit more expensive. Yes. They are more expensive. One of my other besties, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Michelle and her husband use these on their brooder. Yeah. yeah. I I remember you telling me about that. You know who else uses a sweeter heater? Martha Stewart. Martha Stewart has a sweeter heater installed in the top of every one of her coops. Now, here's a good thing about the sweeter heater, which I can see. If you can hang it, it's touching nothing. Right, exactly. So that's the whole purpose of this. And that's a little bit, I think that's why it's priced a little bit higher. So I'm looking at My Pet Chicken right now. Mm -hmm. You can get this one. It's on sale from uh, $119 to $111. If you have the area and the know-how and the way to hang it, that's touching nothing. They're also larger. Yeah. They have a lot more surface area than, say, the Cozy Coop heater. They do come in four different sizes, and we've listed them on our Amazon recommendations page. Exactly. You can go right to our storefront and take a look at them and click on them and see which ones There's a link in our show notes, and there's also a link to our Amazon storefront on our Instagram smart bio. So don't be afraid to get one of these. Look into them. 
You can get a tractor supply. You can't get a tractor supply and look at them. There literally is no reason on this earth why you should simply not look at a heater because someone says chickens don't eat heaters. There you go. I was trying to say that earlier. Yeah. Don't be swayed by this misconception that chickens don't deserve the heat. Right. Chickens are our companions. They give us lots of love. Yes. Why not make them comfortable if the technology is there? Right. And again, you don't have to use the heater all the time. Acclimation is a big part of this. Yeah. So if your chickens are in, say, I'm just going to use Minnesota again. Thank you, Minnesota, for being the example. So cold. If your chickens are in Minnesota and they're used to a cold winter and they get through it okay, great, no problem. But here in the Mid-Atlantic, let's say our chickens are used to it being 20 degrees at night and then it drops below zero. Oh, yeah. That's another type of acclimation where this heater can really ease their pain and their burden and keep them safe. Right. I mean, at that temperature, you're going to have bantams dropping. Well, at that temperature, I wouldn't be letting them out of my coop, to be honest with you. Right. For any length of time. Yeah. Maybe a little bit to walk around for a few minutes. But when it's that cold, I'd want them in the coop with the heater. With the heater. Keeping them comfortable. So there have been days when it's been so cold in the winter here over the years that I don't let them out for the day. Yeah. And that's why when we talk about coops and everything, we're like, make sure they're comfortable. Right. So that they could stay in for enough room to stay in the coop if necessary. If necessary due to weather. Right. It's not a bad thing to look into it. We've looked into them. The ones that we've looked into are on our storefront on Amazon. Yeah. K&H also makes a flat panel radiant heater. You'll see them on Amazon. The other thing I found that was really interesting is there's a Thermocube thermostatic multi-plug. Oh, yeah. We were talking about this the other day. My pet chicken carries them, and and we have it on our Amazon storefront. And essentially, it looks like a plug that goes into the electrical plug, and it has a thermostatic control. So it will turn your heaters off and on depending on temperature. When you can set the temperature. That's an easy set it and forget it. Right. And that will keep your heater from being on when it's too warm. Here's the other thing, and I don't know if we talked about this with Fiona this week, checking our fall tasks, is making sure our electrical cords are good to go from the summer. We still have to make sure that that electrical source is ready to go for the winter. If you don't have electricity and you have no way to run it, then it's not going to be for you. You can try something like the Jackery battery packs. I mean, they're expensive up front to buy, but you can charge them with solar and then they can run heat panels for you overnight. The other thing that you can do, this is one of our little tricks of the trade from working in the veterinary world, is we would make our own heating bags. We used to use knee highs Uh and pack them with just plain white rice. Okay. And then you nuke them for four or five minutes and the rice gives off the heat while it's still hot. Okay. And in a well-insulated coop, it might warm it up. Yeah. So it might be something if you don't have electricity or use it along with the cozy heater. Uh Uh-huh. To help warm the coop, right. you can make these bigger, get a bigger knee high, you can. <laughs> <laughs> really fill it with rice, Yeah, and you can reuse it multiple times. That's a really good idea. And it holds the heat for multiple hours. That's excellent. So let's just say when they're going in at 5 o'clock, uh-huh. from 5 till midnight, and then the warm air, once they're closed in, will yeah. stay in there a little bit longer, along with the cozy heater. We used to use it for surgery. And before and after, everybody was out and just pack them around. It was just inexpensive, and that's what we did. That's a great idea. And if anyone's wondering why we're talking about heaters in October, it's because you want to buy them now. Don't wait until it's cold. They get sold out. They do get sold out. Yeah. I learned that the first year with the bowls. The heated dog bowls for water. Yeah. Yeah. I went to go get them, 
and they were sold out everywhere. It's sort of like on the off season. When the weather is cold, you want to try to buy your fans. Yeah. When the weather is warm, you want to try to buy your heaters. Oh, my God. You I get go the sales. so many box fans, man. It's like for the summer. Well, we have, and we've actually put these on our Amazon storefront. We have found these fantastic fans that work in the coupe. They have a sealed motor, mm-hmm. and the brand is Vornado. Yeah. Again, pricey outlay, but they keep those coupes so comfortable. Yeah. When it's 10 p.m. and it's 85 degrees, yeah. they're fantastic. Anyway. Well, we went from heating to AC, <laughs> AC there. AC, right. The reality here is don't be afraid to do what you need to do to keep your pets comfortable. There's no law against it. No one gets to say whether or not it's a good thing to use these. No, it's your decision. If you're using it in a way that's safe for your chickens, do what you need to do to keep them comfortable. If it's safe and you feel that it makes them more comfortable, that's fine. If somebody else doesn't want to do it, then that's their prerogative. But don't let that influence you. You get to make up your own mind. Yeah, make up your own mind. It's very safe. It is. It's It's as safe as, you know, I run electric during the summer and run the fans. Right. I mean, I've been using the Cozy Coop heaters for a few years now, and I love everything about them. They're just like a broody plate. Yes. They're just larger. So you keep your chicks warm. You want to keep them warm when they're growing also. Right. So, yeah, if you have questions, let us know. Message us. It's a good thing to try, especially given the vagaries of the weather lately. I mean, you know, Texas having a deep freeze or the Pacific Northwest having this enormous heat wave. It's good to be prepared if you can to keep your flock well. And they need you to. They need you to do the research on the newest technology. Honestly, I'd be pretty resentful if someone said humans did not evolve to need air conditioning. (laughs) (laughs) I want my AC. I'm sorry. I want my air conditioning Uh now. Uh I want my heating now. Right. So should we tell everybody what we're going to be talking about next week? Next week is fantastic. We are spotlighting the Americana. Oh, yeah. A great breed. We're having an interview with Trisha. Trisha is Poppy the Crossbeak Chicken's mom. Oh, yeah. Trisha Schumacher. Yes. We have a great interview with Trisha all about Poppy. We are going to talk about her children's books. You can't get better than this. They're fantastic. And our recipe is loaded tater tots. You can eat these while you're reading the book. (laughs) To the chickens. Yes, you can. (laughs) Okay. So what should we tell everybody to do? Hug your chicken. Every day and kiss them too. Don't forget. We'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Bye. If you'd like to see more of us, please follow us on Instagram at Coffee with the Chicken Ladies. If you'd like to help us grow the podcast, please leave us a written review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, please visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash coffee with the chicken ladies. Thanks for listening. <laughs>